Now, for the preaching of God's word. I love this task. Uh, You can open your Bibles to Exodus 16 this morning. Let me pray for our time. Father, we, we thank you for who you are. And God, I ask that through the preaching of your word this morning, you would help us to remember who you are. Help us remember the ways, the many, many ways that you have provided for us. Help us to remember how you have delivered us and cared for us and guide us. Uh, We want to know more of you this morning, so we ask for your help. Spirit, would you open our eyes to see and understand and believe and apply the word. We ask all this in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Exodus 16, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day, on the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumble that you grumble against him, What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And, then the dew, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. 
And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed and white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Are we there yet? Everyone in this room, I'm confident everyone in this room has heard or said or shouted or groaned those words. Am I right? In our passage this morning, it's been 45 days, 45 whole days since Israel left Egypt. We see in verses 1 to 2 that they're wandering in this wilderness called sin, which is a huge, dry, hot, empty place. There's no sights to see, and all that Israel really knows at this point is that they're running away from Egypt. Jason did a fantastic job last week unpacking grumbling for us. So I'm not going to spend much time on it this morning. But already, again, we see Israel grumbling to Moses and Aaron in verse 3, saying, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, Israel is discontent. Again, they're longing to go back to the familiarity and comfort of their slavery. 
They say that with Pharaoh they could eat their fill, and worst of all, they're accusing Moses and Aaron and God himself of a planned genocide, of bringing all of Israel into the wilderness to kill them. Now, was Israel in a tough spot? Of course they were. They didn't have homes. I'm sure there was little or no shade to be found for long stretches of the day. Water was scarce at best. On top of all that, you got a couple million people going through whatever resources and food they left Egypt with, probably pretty quickly. They didn't know exactly where they were going or how long it was going to be. So it makes sense to me that they begin to panic and complain and think the worst. Friend, maybe you're here this morning and you can relate. Maybe your finances are tighter right now than you've ever experienced, and you're starting to freak out a little bit about where the money or food is going to come from. Maybe you have or are starting a family, and the math just doesn't add up. Maybe the Christian life has been hard and long for you, and you find yourself recently asking God, are we there yet? Maybe you feel like God has been teaching you the same lesson for years and years, and you just want to be done. You just want to arrive. You just want to rest. Friends, the things you're facing, the doubts and fears that you have, they're addressed in this passage. I've been praying that all of us would see and know and believe more about our great God through this chapter. And that he would confront our fears and doubts with his word and build up our faith in his never-ending love and mercy and faithfulness. To that end, we start this morning with God's response to Israel's continued grumbling. Look at me with verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And all the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Friends, this is incredible. Don't you love how generous and loving and patient our God is? He doesn't just wipe them out. He doesn't punish them or even scold them. He doesn't threaten them with a, don't make me pull this car over. No, he responds in love and patience. He responds by speaking directly to the specific concern, providing for them in miraculous ways. That's what we're going to see this morning. But God isn't just doling out the provision and miracles, encouraging his children to keep on grumbling. No, there in verse 4, he says that he's going to provide in such a way that tests them seeing if his children will keep and follow his commands. We're going to see this over and over throughout the rest of Exodus. The wilderness is a proving ground. It's one of the clearest, most beautiful pictures that we have of the Christian life in the Old Testament. We are on an incredible journey from slavery to sin and death to the promised land of heaven. The Christian life is the wilderness, friends. There are all kinds of ups and downs and twists and turns. It is full of trials and tests from the Lord. But through it, we are sanctified. 
Through it, we know and love and trust God more. Through it, with the Spirit's help, we become a little more like Jesus every single day, keeping his commands and following him with our whole hearts and lives, day by day, drawing closer to the permanent, lasting home that God has promised us in heaven with him. So let us begin this morning to trust him a little bit more and obey and follow him through the wilderness. As we get into the rest of the passage this morning, what we're going to see as our main idea is this. Because God has delivered us and provides for us, we must keep his commands. Because God has delivered us and provides for us, we must keep his commands. Now the question to ask is how do we best position ourselves to keep his commands? We've got two points to help us this morning. Number one, remember God delivers. Number two, remember God provides. I so appreciated Scott selecting that song, calling us to remember God's activity. That is what this text is about this morning, church. We must remember that God delivers and that God provides. So first up, remember God delivers. We see this in verses 6 to 7 where it says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. So again, in response to Israel's grumbling, God chooses not to punish them, but to provide for them and remind them of who he is and what he has done for them. And he says he's not just going to stop there with the miraculous provisions, but to reinforce the reminder, he's going to show them his glory. God is saying to his people, let me remind you that those ten plagues on Egypt and Pharaoh and their gods, that was me. You being set free from your bondage to the strongest empire the world has ever known, that was me. You being guided by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, that was me. You crossing the sea on dry ground and Pharaoh and his army being drowned in the very same waters that you passed safely through, that was me. See, fam, God's reminding them that he and he alone has delivered them. And he's telling them that they must trust him to provide. He is with them and he will guide them on their way to the promised land. Obeying God's commands starts with us remembering that he has delivered us. That's why he starts with this reminder to Israel. He tells them how he's going to provide, and he tells them it's going to be an ongoing test of faith, but that it's all built on the foundation of God delivering his people from their bondage. So this morning, be reminded, if you belong to him, 
if you believe that God has saved you, our great God, Yahweh, the Lord, he has delivered you. What has he delivered you from? Namely, your sins. He has delivered you from your bondage to sin and the death that it deserves. We all choose sin and we're all running towards hell. But God in his mercy has chosen and delivered you. How has he delivered you? Through the gospel of his son, Jesus. Jesus laid down his life to be the perfect, spotless Passover lamb for you. His blood was spilled to cover the doorposts of your life so that death loses its hold on you and to wash away your sins. He gave his very life for you because he loves you more than anything in the world. But then he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, rescuing you and setting you free. He ascended back to heaven and sent you his spirit to assure you and guarantee you that you belong to him and that he is coming back. Amen. Friend, if you believe that gospel, then you have been delivered. God has delivered you by the redeeming work of Jesus. After being delivered, now you're in the wilderness of the Christian life. You have faced, are facing maybe, and will face many tests of your faith. But you can be sure, you can trust that through them your God is with you. He has designed these tests to help you to trust and obey him more and more throughout the rest of your life. Now, how do we best position ourselves to remember that God delivers? It's an easy thing for us to forget in our day-to-day -day life. Just look at the example of Israel forgetting over and over again who God is and what he has done for them. We are no different than the Israelites in this way. We are prone to forget who God is and what he has done. So how do we actively remember that he delivers? I've got four quick suggestions for you. Number one, read the story of Exodus. You're doing it right now, and we're going to be doing it together for a church for a while. So good job. This is one of the biggest benefits of sitting under the preached word every week as a church. We are regularly reminded of God's activity, grace, faithfulness, and deliverance. Number two, read the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament often. They not only show us who Jesus is, but they remind us again and again that God has delivered us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we read the New Testament, our souls are stirred to believe that God is who he says he is and that he has done everything that he says he has done. It fills us with faith that he will continue to provide and fulfill his promises to us. Number three, recount your salvation very often. Daily, throughout your day maybe, Recall who you were and who you would be apart from God's saving grace. Let that remind you that he has delivered you. Friends, this can be done as you're getting ready for your day. 
It can be done as you're getting ready for bed. Spend time daily thanking God for saving you and making you new. Recounting your salvation this frequently will make it much harder to forget that God has delivered you and that he will continue to provide for you. Number four, ask to hear other people's testimonies. Just like recalling your story, when you're hanging out with other believers, if you've never heard their story or maybe you just haven't heard it in a while, ask them about it. Hearing about how God has saved and been faithful to others stirs our souls to live our lives for him. And it's an excellent reminder for us to be sharing the hope that we have in Christ with others so that they might hear and know and believe the saving, transforming power of the gospel. Friends, we really do need these regular reminders of God's faithfulness and deliverance. All of them are regular ways to be reminded that God has delivered you from your sin and that that should fill you with hope and faith in him to follow and obey him every single day, no matter what your circumstance. It's not always easy. But praise the Lord that we're not alone, that we have each other to remind us of our salvation and deliverance in Christ. Church, we must remember God delivers, delivers. It helps us to begin to truly believe that because he has delivered us and provides for us, we must keep his commands. But not only do we need to remember God delivers, our second point is a call to remember God provides. This is coming from verses 13 to 31. This is where we'll spend the bulk of the time this morning. God provides miraculously for his people in this text in two very incredible ways. Two ways that give them exactly what they asked for, meat and bread. First, God provides meat by sending enough quail that very evening, like it says in verse 3, to cover the camp. Now, I don't know if you guys know how big a quail is, but it ain't big. They're, they're like this. How many quail are needed to feed a couple million people dinner is beyond me. That's a lot of quail. Some people will try to argue that this wasn't really a miracle because quail were native to the land and they migrate in large groups, yada, yada. I don't care what anybody says. For that many quail to show up and feed that many people exactly when God said it would happen, which, by the way, was this very same evening that God had said, that's a miracle. That is absolutely an intentional, generous, miraculous provision of God for his people. But it leads me to ask you the question, how has God provided for you in seemingly normal ways? Not that I'm saying the provision of quail was normal by any means, but that quail itself was a normal food source that wasn't foreign to the Israelites. One of the ways that we can remember that God provides is by pointing out, recording even, and recalling how he has done so in our lives. 
Maybe you had a bill or expense come out of nowhere and you got an unexpected gift or bonus that was just enough to cover the cost. Maybe you've been feeling lonely and isolated and someone randomly reaches out to catch up or introduces themselves on a Sunday morning. Maybe you know that appliance is on its last leg, but it just keeps running. Maybe you know. Maybe you know. All of these and so many more are normal examples of God's provision. Friends, they're not normal. They're not random. They are miraculous, generous provisions of God for his people. We must remember that he provides. Now, the second miracle God provides for Israel is just mind-blowing. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost in the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. What? 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 What is this stuff? Well, that's exactly what the Israelites were asking. Down in verse 31, we find a description of it. It says, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. That sounds dope. I was talking to Amanda about it a lot this week, and her response has repeatedly been, dude, I will take honey-wafered cookies any day of the week. (laughs) But for real, what is it? God himself describes it as bread from heaven back in verse 4. Here in verse 15, Moses answers the question by saying that it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. There's a few different theories that are all based on real-life occurrences, and any of them could be what manna really was. I'll let you go discover more about those yourselves. But the problems that we encounter when we try to logically and scientifically determine what manna really was is that those possibilities are all native to the area. So what is it would be an odd response. And all those possibilities are seasonal, only appearing for a handful of weeks each year. And the sheer quantity of manna needed to feed this many people is really just impossible naturally. All this to say, we don't know exactly what it was, but most important to see right now is that the God who delivered his people daily provided for their biggest physical need. We must remember that God provides. But when we look beyond what it is, we see how God instructed his people to gather and use it. And this is where it gets even more incredible. Read with me starting in verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer, which verse 36 tells us is just a day's worth of food, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. All right, Drew, what's so crazy about that? Well, friends, first of all, look at this. God is responding directly to their complaint about being able to eat in Egypt to their fill. Here he says, gather as much as you can eat in a day. Eat until you are full. The kindness of God is incredible. But it gets better. 
Keep reading, verses 17 to 18. The people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. So not only was the manna miraculously provided, but it miraculously was exactly enough for what each person needed. In other words, God's miraculous provision is perfect, lacking in nothing, no more, no less. God provided perfectly. God provides perfectly, church. Now look at verses 19 and 20. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Now hang on, if nobody had more than they could eat, how could they have leftovers? Well, as people who are very prone to forget about God's deliverance and provision and who are quick to doubt God, do you think that maybe some people... We're thinking, I'm going to store some of this away in case there's not any more tomorrow morning. Better believe it. Verse 20 says that they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left some till the morning and it bred worms and stank. That's gross. I could give you illustrations and tell you stories about gross things, but I feel that that's pretty vivid enough. By trying to hoard the manna and not trusting God to provide more the next day, their lack of faith results in rotten, worm-infested food. God told them it would be a test. And at the very first opportunity, the very first day, people are failing to trust him and keep his commands. How often do we do this? Friends, we must remember that God provides, and he does so perfectly. His blessing of provisions for our true needs will never run out if we trust him and keep his commands. But if we keep reading, we see yet another test of faith in God's word and provision. In verse 22, we're told that they followed instructions and gathered enough manna for two days in order to rest on the Sabbath and still have food to eat. But wait, the leftovers rot and have worms, don't they? Not on the Sabbath, they don't. Here's another issue with trying to prove what manna was. It rots overnight every other day of the week except on the Sabbath. Crazy. But it's true. And as the people obeyed and gathered twice as much on the sixth day, there was no new manna outside on the seventh day. Yet they still had exactly enough for what they needed on the Sabbath. God's provision was perfect. It had no lack. It didn't run out. But then look at verse 27. Even after all of this, there's still people. There are still people who aren't listening, who aren't remembering, who aren't obeying God's commands. It says on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? 
See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each one of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Church, over and over in Scripture, we see that we must remember who God is and obey his commands. He delivers us and he provides for us. Now, maybe you have the question, how does God provide for us today? It's not manna. It's a fair question. And I think it's one that God is eager for us to be able to answer readily and with lots of examples. Friends, our Bible is absolutely full of God's promises to provide for us and help us. There is no better place to turn to remember that God has delivered you and will provide for you. There's also an excellent devotional book that I highly recommend. It's called The Promises of God by Charles Spurgeon. Get it, read it slowly, and be reminded of God's promises to you. But for today, I just want to share some verses to remind you that our God is perfect in power and strength. His wisdom is beyond our understanding, and his faithfulness and mercy and love towards you are truly immeasurable. He cares for you, and he wants you to be well aware of his provision and promises to you. Deuteronomy 31.8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Psalm 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need. Every need, church. Every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's, that's just a flyby sampling of some of the promises of God to be with us and help us and provide for us. We have a good, kind, faithful, generous God. These passages and so many, remind, so many more remind us that God provides exactly what we need 
and that his provision is perfect. And as we live in his provision, we must obey him and trust him that it is enough. Even though we so often want to take things into our own hands, like trying to store some of the manna for tomorrow, we need to trust him. Even though we so often don't trust him to provide, like going out to gather manna on the Sabbath, we need to rest in him. And while we do so, we must trust him to provide. Church, let scripture move you towards prayer. Bring, you, bring God your concerns and your cares and your needs. Ask for his help and provision. Then trust that what he provides is exactly what you need. Try taking the night before your day off to take all your burdens and worries to the Lord and asking for his help. Then lay your weary head down and go to sleep entrusting all of your burdens to the Lord. Trust him to provide. Start your day off by spending some extended time with the Lord, reminding yourself that he is your God, that he will help you and provide for you. And then go about your day resting in him first and trusting that he will provide for you even when your checklist for the day doesn't get done. Try the same thing on Saturday evening before we gather as the church. Take some, and then take some extended time, even after a whole morning together, to be with the people of God and allow your soul to be refreshed, finding rest in God and trusting him to provide for all of your needs. Another way to see how God provides for us today is to take some time to recount how God has provided for you throughout your life. Start by thinking about the big things, job, school, house, family, whoever shared the gospel with you, friends, etc. Recount specific stories for these things. How did God provide for you with this thing? I'm sure that there are incredible stories represented in many of those things for you. Then start to think about other things. Favorite places, hobbies that you enjoy, meaningful memories, prized possessions. It could be the littlest thing that reminds you personally in a very specific, particular way that God provides for you. I wear this anchor around my neck to remind me that God is good and that his timing is perfect. Came after a, a long season of waiting and ups and downs and things not going the way that I would have planned or liked. But one of the things that God taught me through those tests and through those ups and downs is that he's good. He's good all the time. I need to remember that. So this is, this is a, a reminder to me that God is good all the time and that I can trust him in all things. What are those things in your life? How has God provided for you? And how can you remind yourself that he is good and provides and delivers? So how do we best remember that God provides? We read our Bibles, we spend time in prayer, and we record and recount all the ways that he physically, tangibly provides for us. But 
Church, the best way to remember that God provides is to look to Jesus, who is the single greatest provision that God has ever given. John 6 may be a familiar passage to you. It's where Jesus feeds the 5,000. There in verses 1 to 14 are some really beautiful parallels with our passage this morning. I'd really encourage you guys to go read Exodus 16 and John 6, maybe over lunch or dinner today. Talk about the connections that you see. There's tons of them. Jesus talks about testing his disciples. He talks about the people eating their fill. It's It's beautiful. Go read those things. But what I really want to look at in John 6 is found in verses 26 to 35. You can turn there. I'm going to read this for us because it's here that Jesus compares himself to the bread of heaven sent by God in our passage this morning. Here, Jesus makes significant, life-changing, world-altering claims. This is the day after he fed the 5,000, and many from that same crowd had traveled to find him and ask him questions. And it says this, starting in verse 28. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to him, to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He continues in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Friends, do you ever doubt that God is, in fact, who he says he is? Do you ever doubt that he has truly delivered you from your bondage to sin? Do you ever doubt that he is with you or that he is guiding you towards heaven with him? Do you ever doubt that he will provide for each and every one of your true needs? Do you allow those doubts and fears to wreak havoc on your faith and then result in you taking matters into your own hands? I certainly do. I cannot tell you how many times I've forgotten or chosen not to trust that God is good and for me or not believed that he has delivered me and will provide for me. I do not like to depend on or trust other people. It makes me feel vulnerable. It makes me feel weak. It makes me feel like I have no control. It makes me feel helpless. But believer, that's the point. 
The point of the manna was to test the faith of God's people and help them to trust God for their needs on a daily basis. It was to test their faith and help them to keep and obey his commands, and we need that too. The meaning of the manna for us today is that all we need is Jesus He is the bread of life, the bread of heaven sent by God down into the world to provide for our deepest, darkest need, salvation from our sins. But he is also the bread of life, the bread that we need on a daily basis to know and love and follow and obey God with our whole hearts and minds and bodies and lives. Remember that we are in the wilderness. We are traveling from slavery to sin to eternity with God in heaven. The point of the wilderness is to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. God has delivered us. God has provided for us. We must keep his commands. We cannot deliver ourselves and we cannot provide for ourselves truly. Certainly not when it comes to our salvation We need Jesus. We must remember these things, church. To start to wrap this up, let's look at verses 32 to 36 together. I love this section because it shows us that God himself is committed to helping us remember that he delivers and provides. It's a helpful reminder that it's not just up to us. In verse 32, we see that God commands Israel, let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then verses 33 and 34 tell us that that's exactly what they did. Why does this matter? It matters because it shows us that God could preserve the manna. He could keep it from rotting and being infested with worms. He was able to do that, and he would for this specific jar of manna so that the people could see and remember how God had miraculously provided for them over and over throughout the whole 40 years in the wilderness. So these verses reinforce that the wilderness and the manna, they were tests. Could God have provided a never-ending food source that would never go bad? Of course he could. But because he loves his children and wants them to trust him and obey him, God was testing Israel's faith. Just like he tests our faith now to trust and believe that he will provide for all of our needs, even the daily ones. These verses matter because we see that God provided for them a physical, tangible reminder of his deliverance and provision. Believer, ask yourself, what physical, what physical, tangible reminders has God given you of his deliverance and provision? Again, let me put forward, first and foremost, the Bible. Because in it, we find, we find recorded everything we need for salvation and life and godliness. This book recounts God's entire plan and promise of redemption through the gospel of Jesus. And it is the thing that we have to help us remember that God delivers and provides. 
God knows that we're quick to forget and that we're quick to doubt, that we're quick to fear and not trust him. So in his unending kindness, he himself has given us an incredibly valuable and effective reminder of who he is and what he's done and what he promises he will do. This book is the best reminder. While we unpack the keeping, preserving language, we can't miss tying God's preservation of the manna into God's preserving of his people. Remember that us, for us today, the biggest point of the manna is that Jesus, the bread of life in heaven, is all we need. God preserves our souls and our lives through Jesus. Jesus gives us life from death. He sustains our daily lives and he has secured and is keeping eternal life for us in heaven with him. What a picture. What a reality. What a hope and assurance we have in Jesus. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you believe that he has saved you from death and hell, then you belong, body and soul, to him. He is all you need. He has delivered you and he will provide for you, giving you life today and tomorrow and for the rest of your days. He will preserve your life and soul forever with him. He is the bread of life and we must follow and obey his commands. Now, finally, because of its proximity to verse 36, which simply explains what an omer is, I think... Verse 35 can be very easy to overlook. But friends, I think this verse is one of the most challenging, vision-casting, encouraging verses in this whole chapter. It says, The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Why do I think this is so great? Because when I think about my life being the wilderness, this verse casts a vision for me of trusting, the, trusting my God for the rest of my life. It helps me remember that God has delivered and redeemed me from my sin only from the blood of Jesus. It helps me remember that God has provided for my biggest need already and that he will provide for all my needs as I follow him and keep his commands. It reminds me that for the rest of my days, I need Jesus to sustain me and help me because he is the bread of heaven, the bread of life. It reminds me that until I reach the shores of heaven, I have all that I need in Jesus and that he will not abandon me or cast me away. It reminds me that my God is good all the time. And that he is patient and gracious. That he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It reminds me that I am in fact being guided by the Lord towards eternity with him. It's easy. It is so easy for us to forget all that. So I'm really grateful for a verse like this that prompts me to remember all that God has done. And all that he has promised to do. Friends, let us together help each other follow God and keep his commands, helping us all, one another, to remember that God delivers and provides. Amen? Let's pray.